Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. If you dream of using analytics to optimize your customer interactions and squeeze additional value out of your existing operation, then this episode is definitely for you. Today, most large services businesses have established data science functions that churn out countless reports, dashboards, customer insights packs, machine learning models, forecasts, predictions, and much more. With all this information to hand, you would hope frontline operations are making data-driven decisions across the board. But alas, many of these same businesses struggle to turn their analytics into more than glossy PowerPoint packs that describe what could be done. Often, this is because the technical implementation of data science solutions run into resource constraints or just remain unsupported by IT departments. So, how can we successfully make use of our analytical output in our frontline operations without spending eons creating overly complex systems that never quite deliver? To answer this question, I recently spoke to Jason Tan, who is an expert in operationalizing data science solutions that deliver positive customer outcomes and real financial results. Jason is the managing director of consulting group Data-Driven Analytics and an expert in optimizing customer experience, pricing, and long-term customer value. In this episode of Leaders of Analytics, we discuss how to use analytics to optimize your customer interactions, how to identify the most valuable data science use cases in your organization, and much more. Please enjoy the show. Here is Jason. Jason Tan, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. And finally, my turn to be interviewed instead of interviewing other people. So I'm excited to have to, to be here. And thanks for having me. Yes, the roles have been reversed because about a year ago, I think it was, I was actually on your podcast, uh, The Analytics Show. I believe it was episode 44, if my memory serves me right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were interviewing me, but now we've reversed the roles. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear what you have to, to tell us today. 
Jason, why don't we just get stuck straight into it? So we've heard a little bit about your background in the intro, but could you tell us a bit about yourself, your career background and, and what you do? Absolutely. So I'm the founder of an analytic consulting company here in Brisbane. It's called Data Driven Analytics. So I serve the client both in Australia and overseas as well. So the key focus that I have at the DDA is about embedding analytic solution into the frontline and, and operation. Other than that, when I'm not working or when I'm not entertaining, entertaining my three-year-old and one-year-old boys, I am the host at the Analytic Show podcast. So just like you point out, I interview all the interesting and smart people like yourself around the world and understand how they run analytic and uh, use analytics to write to run a high performance company in different industry. And how did you get into data science? Well, I started my career at, with Suncom Actual Service back in two thousand six. So, for those listeners who do not know about Suncom, so Suncom is one of the largest general insurer and commercial insurer here in Australia. So, I was really lucky that a gentleman named Charles Pollack took me into his team. So back when I started, I think they, they have about 100 plus actuaries working in all different lines of business, like your home and motor insurance, commercial insurance, life insurance, all those sort of stuff. And I was probably one of the very, very few people that have to focus on the data infrastructure and also building all the analytic tools. Um, so initially, my, my focus was on the data warehouse. And I always thought that it is a really good foundation simply because it, it really helped me to understand the importance of the single source of truth, you know, how to collect various data from different systems, whether it's internal data or external data. And then finally, of course, it's about cleaning them, sorrow them. And, and I want to highlight this how to reconcile them as well. Because at the end of the day, if the data is not accurate, what, what is the point? And no one is going to use it, right? So I think after that, I gradually, I moved into the pricing team. And my focus was really about building all the different pricing tools to allow the actuaries to be able to use in their pricing work and also do all sort of uh, different reserving work, et cetera, et cetera. And then my focus then moved to building the pricing optimization from the ground. So at that point, it was really also the first of its kind in the world. So what I mean by that is typically, and back at that time, insurer, they, the way they charge and how much they charge you for the premium is they typically they price the risk in the what they call the zone and suburb. Pricing. So what that basically means is like if I live in the same suburb with you in Melbourne, if we drive the same car, have same number of claims, and our demographic is almost almost the same, then you and I will going to be paid for a very similar premium for our insurer. So the innovation we we brought into the industry back then was really the risk address pricing, which is a game changer because if you think about it. If you and I live in exactly the same street, but then I live at the bottom of the street, whereas you live high at the top of the street, and both our, our, our street is close to the river, the reality is I was exposing myself 
much more of the fraud list com compared to yourself. So the, those XY coordinates data that we collect could really help us to know exactly where you and I live within the suburb. Um, and because of that, we could price a lot more accurately than anyone else in the world. So yeah, that's, that's how I got into the DS and uh, more from the sun insurance and the actual perspective. But I think the key I also learned over the years and back then is how do you design and structure and develop an embed, an embed analytic platform into, into the business that would complement the legacy system? And um, that, that is how I got into the industry. Wonderful. So there were quite a few things in there that we can touch on throughout the podcast. Then we'll get back to the pricing element for sure. But the first thing I think we should touch on is what you also talked about, which is how to embed analytics into the frontline operations. And I think a lot of listeners will be interested in this because it is a real challenge for many businesses to, to mature their analytics output to actually be used in operations rather than just as pieces of advice that may or may not be actioned. And Jason, you are an expert in implementing analytical processes in frontline operations, and you run this consulting business, data-driven analytics, that specializes in, in this exact thing. So my first question to you is, how do we get analytics out of PowerPoint packs and embedded into frontline operations or digital products that we offer customers? That is a really good question. And to some extent, you touch on it a little bit already. The typical problem that everyone faces is the strategy may or may not get implemented. And if we take a step back and look through the whole, whole flow of the analytic is a lot of time the enterprise or corporation, they will have a data warehouse team that collect the data, um, build the data warehouse, and then you have the BI team to build the business intelligence. And then you they probably also work with the business to build all different types of the reports. And then you have the analytic teams, whether they sit separately or they get embedded with these data team or business team, they will build the predictive model and all the interesting stuff. Now, all of these things typically will end up in the Excel spreadsheet, uh, PowerPoint, or dashboard. Analytic teams will probably find some macro trends from this model uh, that they built, or maybe from the BI, the business intelligence. Then they probably work with the business team to come out a business strategy to capture the value. And finally, they propose a strategy and hoping that the executive will take notice and then they get to work with the IT team to make some level of the IT system change. Or maybe they probably have to work with the front line to, to talk about and make sure that they implement this strategy. So I'll give you an example of this is cross-selling a product, right? So in the bank, um, how do you cross-sell a product in, to an assisting customer? So the analytics will probably show that if a customer has got a home loan, they probably will likely to have a credit card. So this is something that the, the industry has been doing for a long time, right? So what typically happen is the analytic will say, okay, this is the trend that we find out. And then they will work with the business team 
and the business team will try to come out a bundle product. So bundle product meaning basically that you got a home loan. If someone is trying to get a home loan, they will have that bundle in a way that uh, your credit card fees is waived. So people end up getting a, a credit card. Or maybe they will run marketing campaign and get the front line to cross sell the credit card to those who already have a home loan, but haven't got a credit card yet. Now, the problem of either strategy is that it can take very, very long time to design, implement a new product or strategy that probably never get implemented, the, the product, because you still have to work with the IT system change in order to create the bundle, right? Now, on the other hand, it's probably quick and easy to craft a campaign and share the script with the front line to cross-sell the credit card to the home loan customer. But we all know that it's never efficient simply because whenever you need to rely on the discipline of the human to follow all the steps, we human are imperfect and we tend to forget things or we will still forget things. And because of that, it, it just never had worked 100%. And the other problem I, I think that is increasingly becoming more of an issue here in, in the uh, developed world is that people are actually visiting less and less to the branch now. I mean, everyone is closing the branch. So if, if they are not visiting the branch or if they are not really calling the call center, then how do you have a strategy where your call center consultant, your, your bank teller could cross sell the different products then? So that is almost becoming obsolete to some point in the future. So, so that, that itself is, is a problem. And, and other than that, you, because all of those interactions are manual, you could never really collect the data and A-B test the, the model, right? So for all those reasons, I always champion to embed analytic into the operation. So what we could do and how do we embed analytic into to solve this problem then? So currently we are working with a banking client to bypass some of those channels. So we look at the first thing that we look at all the customer behavior and understand what their preferred channel is. Like me, I know I use internet banking a lot. Um, for some other people, they probably use their mobile apps a lot more often. But there are some, to some extent, there's still small pocket of the, the customer would prefer to call the call center or maybe they just look at the banking statement. Now, once we understand all of those customer behavior, as we understand what we are trying to achieve with the objective, i.e. how to cross-sell a credit card product to the existing customer who already got the home loan. And how do we plan that objective into all of these different channels based on what we understand about how they use, use and interact with the bank? So as we identify all of these channels, we then design and push out the message through the channel that they see the most often as the number one priority. It doesn't mean that we are not pushing out the message to other channels that they use lesser. It's just that we prioritize the, the, the channel that they use more. And uh, really it is where it gets seen and also how we can implement and embed the analytic into the front line. The, the next, next step, um, is really about also start tracking the links and also we can A-B test all the CTA. So really, I think the key here, if I were to summarize it, 
is to try to remove the human out of the equation because only by then you can scale and integrate analytic model to, to the front line because you can then automate and track all the results. And I say, sometimes I joke that to some extent at a very, very high level, it's really no different to the recommendation system that you see when you're shopping at Amazon. Okay, and I assume that one of the challenges that you often run into, because I've run into this myself in, in previous jobs in my career, is that organizations uh, want to do this, but they have a lot of legacy IT systems and processes mm. that are not easy to configure or it's not a priority to do these things for what, what might be seen at the time as a little bit of an experiment before we know what the value is. Mm. How do you tackle that and get around that problem? So this is the problem that we're faced by pretty much every single per, uh, industry, uh, company in the finance industry, except a few in the Silicon Valley or a, a few of them who build the things from the ground up, right? Everyone has got a legacy system and legacy system at the same time, they never build it from the ground up. They don't own the system. They don't have the flexibility and the detailed understanding about the legacy system. So what I would say, the way to think about how to, to work with the legacy system is that you want to build your analytic platform side by side and outside of the legacy system rather than trying to build it within the legacy system. Because we all know that whenever you want to touch the legacy system, you have to go through a thousand uh, IT policy. You have to work with 2,000 uh, stakeholders who, who, who will be worried that you will break the system, right? So that's why you never really want to touch the legacy system in that way. You build the analytic platform outside of the legacy system. The advantage of doing that also is you could literally design and also have your data science, data scientists, your data warehouse people, or your analytic people to touch, to update, and, and make change to the system as frequent and as often as you want. And at the same time, you don't have to worry about breaking the legacy system. Now, how do you then bring the result back to the core system? So the, 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 the key here is then you need someone who have the ability to understand, to say, how do you change, turn the result of the analytic model? How do you have them spit out in a data format? Okay, so what I mean is, for example, in the insurance perspective is if the analytic model is suggesting that the new price that I should be charging is uh, $500 instead of $450, so that is an extra $50 in the premium. So how do you change, how do you speed out the result to say, now I want to charge extra $50 and how do I get these extra $50 into the underwriting system, into the pricing engine? you need to be able to identify their tables and the data within the legacy system that allows you to put that $50. So either your existing legacy system may have the ability to, to, to allow you to do that, or otherwise you will have to work with the legacy system team to build the system, to, to change the system, to, to allow you to find a way to implement that $50 change in a data format. So what 
I keep talking about data format. And what I mean by that is because you could then have your analytic platform run daily, weekly, fortnightly, or, or monthly. It doesn't matter how frequently it runs, and it doesn't matter how much policy or how much customer it touches. All it does, it chuck out all the results, and then you change, you put the re- all of those results into a data format. And subsequently, you feed all of this data back to the legacy system. Through that way, you never really have, you only have to touch the legacy system once in order to accommodate this sort of chain at the very start. But on the ongoing and the future, all you do is just keep feeding the new data into the system. So that is really, I think, the key about building an analytic platform to complement the legacy system. Yeah, so you're, you're creating a process outside the, the core system and you're, you're in essence creating, you're designing a, a piece of software of sorts, uh, the, the dusty analytical process. Um, so if I'm reading between the lines of what you're saying, there's still a lot of collaboration between IT, the business, and the analytics teams uh, to actually deliver this. Uh, one, so that it's accurate. Two, that it's timely. But also three, that it actually is user-friendly for the people, a person that sits at the front line and uses the output, interacts with the output. So for instance, a, a pricing calculation. So in your view, what are the differences between businesses that try this and succeed with it versus the ones that try and fail in this exercise? That is a really good question. And I probably would say there are two key points that I have observed over the years. Number one is start the project small. Number two is have the laser focus on delivering the business value and validating the hypothesis to solve the problem. Now, on the other hand, those who feel in this exercise, they, I think they tend to give too much focus on the technology, i.e. am I using the latest tech? Am I using what everyone else is using? or the, they, they follow a really, really rigid framework. And to some extent, they tend to start the project in, in a big bang approach. So what I mean by starting a big bang project is the project often will have hundreds of people involved and often is really a high profile project within the company. It's almost like every single person would know about this project, right? Now, the problem of, of doing that is it attract a lot of attention and it attract a lot of people who want to get involved. So not only they want to get involved, but a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders, they also want to put their stamp and the name on, on the project. Now, often what that basically means is before you start, suddenly the project has to deliver 10 times what you meant, what, what, what it was meant to, to deliver. It gets super complicated. And in order to, to satisfy all of this requirement from everyone, it almost make it extremely, extremely difficult to deliver. I mean, let alone proving the hypothesis. Now, I know obviously this is the responsibility of the project owner or the program manager to negotiate, but when the profile and the state of a project is that high, they would too also have difficulty to, to negotiate the deliverable that would satisfy everyone. Now, the Second focus that I I think people are feeling in this sort of initiative is 
is really the wrong focus in the solving the wrong problem. Sometimes you get the IT or the data team who are so rigid and also vocal. <laughs> they they want you to follow all of this rigid framework or or the rules. So for example, like. IT team may insist of using the technology and follow all of these policy with the cloud technology or data storage. And then you have the data or the solution architect who, who, who you work with that must that insist that your data must almost like normalize or denormalize for 300 times before you can actually use it. But the truth is none of those things matter. Because none of those things matter if we cannot prove the hypothesis, if we cannot solve the problem. And whether the data meet the data value or this Kimball design spec or not, is really not important if no one knows how to use the data, no one knows how to join the data, and no one trusts the data, then what is the point of having those things, right? Because the, the key here is about how who. Can they solve a problem? Can you prove the hypothesis? So really, I think those that I found who often succeed is they have super laser focus in building and proving the case from the business perspective rather than IT or data. And I think they will also try to keep the project as simple and as small as possible to prove the value, to, to make some win before they try to build a rocket that will take them from Earth to Mars from on day one. Very good summary, Jason. And I can see that your experience in this area comes with a lot of use cases of uh, both good and bad in that sense. So now that we are moving on to choosing what to implement rather than how, uh, what are typically the most valuable use cases when it comes to embedding data science solutions to the front line that businesses should focus on? I work a lot with the, the insurance, so I could be a little bit biased, but I think pricing analytics uh, in the insurance industry is really a great example how they actually have been doing that for a long time. So in the insurance world, typically they rely on the policy holder or a, a, a customer to tell them all the information that the insurer need to know. Now they need that in order to price and underwrite the, the risk accordingly. But the problem with that though, is that you can never expect the customer to know all the answer at all time. And you also can't expect the call consultant to take forever asking all those questions or even capture the correct data, right? So for more than that, I think we are now in 2021, a lot of insurers are also starting to use more and more different type of data to price the risk. So for example, some general insurer would want to know the land size of your property or your approximate distance to the nearest river or the booth, like what we discussed before. But the problem is 90% of the customer will have no clue about this information. I, I know uh, myself, I actually do not know what's the land size of my property. So I think really the best way, one, one of the, the, the component about embedded the analytics is also how do you approach data collection by knowing the information without having to ask your customer or without having to get your customer to manually tell you all of this information. 
So one of the best way to approach the problem that how do you ask those questions about the home uh, as the customer is trying to buy the, the insurance is you can actually buy the data from external party and incorporate them into your analytic model and finally load all these results into the system so that your consultant never really have to ask the question or even your customer don't actually have to know. And I probably would say another one would be recommendation system in the e-commerce or, or social media. So that being said, a lot of us are already are using that already and whether we are aware or whether or not. So for example, as I'm scrolling on LinkedIn or Facebook, pretty much all my activity or interaction are captured and, and fed into the model. And subsequently, all of those data and the model that they build is then get to design the system uh, of the social media so that they can create a little bit more of the personalized experience for us and then showing all the, the posts, uh, all the information, all the content that we are personally uh, find interesting. And the other thing that I would say that I have seen is, for example, one of my podcast guests, Andy Sutton from the Endeavor Dreams Group, they actually have been building and embedding analytics to, to build recommendation engine so they can recommend different beverage to, to their customer. Very interesting. And you, you touched on Facebook there. And if anyone's had any experience in the advertising side of Facebook, they will know exactly what data sits behind it and what you can do in terms of segmentation and targeting. It is truly a remarkable marketing engine. I think both you and I have used it to target potential customers. And not only can you get very cheap traffic to your website typically, but also very targeted segmented traffic in terms of age groups, interests, likes, behaviors, all that sort of stuff. Um, it is really a remarkable marketing engine that, that they've built. Yeah. In Facebook, it is. And uh, for, for any listener out there, remember that Facebook is free, which means you're the product, not the customer. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But on, on the other hand, the question that we also need to ask is if Facebook is charging us five dollars a month how many of us would be happily paying five dollars and continue to use Facebook? that's true it's a marketplace <laughs> uh, at the end of the day it's a a marketing marketplace for content but also for marketing and uh, it needs buyers and sellers of of both uh, which it has uh, in abundance now jason back to what we talked about uh, just then because I agree with you. Typically, two use cases that are a very high impact are around pricing and recommending new products because, uh, among other reasons, because it directly impacts an existing relationship. So you know something about the person already and there is already a relationship and you have some value attached to that relationship. So you can, you can typically uh, balance uh, the risk of losing the customer with the, the potential gain of, say, pricing or upselling or, or what, what, whatever it might be. Uh, you have a lot of experience in this pricing area, and it's of interest to many people. So could you give us some examples or you've use cases of where you've seen these pricing engines done really well, including how did they get from 
a basic model to something that was implemented in the front line by going through all the steps that we've covered in this podcast so far? I probably would say the insurance company is still probably one of the best in terms of implementing all of these pricing analytics and strategy. And I think primarily that one of the key reasons I I feel like to some extent that contributing to this is the complexity of getting a price and also the complexity of understanding the price. What I mean by that is, yes, that might be to some extent that is almost like you have an expectation of how much you are going to pay for the price for your insurance that you are going to buy, but you would never know exactly what the number is. And what I mean by that is, for example, if I were to go out to buy for a water bottle, I know that it's going to be sitting somewhere around $5 to $20, depending the brand, depending the quality, depending where I buy them. But in insurance, I don't think anyone would know what is the price to expect until they shop around and after they call a number of insurance. Because of that information that they lack of, they do not know until they shop around, it also makes it possible to have extremely complex pricing strategy and pricing analytics. But of course, from the insurer perspective, equally, they need to take into the account of all the competitors and also what is a fair price uh, for them to price in order to win the business of the customer. But if we to take all of those back and understand insurance company really has the advantage or is really the one that implement the pricing analytics really, really well for, for all of those reasons. And uh, apart from risk address pricing and the customer demand pricing, one of the things that the insurance company do really well is the competitor pricing. So what I mean by that is whether we like it or not, price is equally one of the reasons that many people will make the decision to say whether they will buy from you or buy from somewhere else or buy from me, okay? And so that means depending on the market position that you want to put yourself in, whether you are you want to be a premium uh, provider or you want to become a low budget provider, once you have determined the market position that you want to be, you could never really deviate way too much. I mean, you can deviate, but you cannot deviate way too much of your market position. So what, what that means is whether I want to be in the, if, if you and I both are the, the premium provider in the insurance industry, then it is impossible for me to say, I'm going to charge 30% more compared to you because it, that's not possible. The, 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 the market is not going to pay for it. So that's why no matter how and no matter what, your deviation could never, the gap could never be too large. So to do that, one of the things that the, the insurance have been doing for years is taking to the account of the competitive pricing. So what, what, what they do and what they did is that they built all the robots and to go out to do the thousand and thousand of insurance code on the competitive website. They literally do this pretty much every week. Uh, whether they do it themselves or they actually outsource it to someone else to do it is a different story. 
But really, it, what, what, it, what happened is like there are robots out there that are basically hitting the website and doing thousands and thousands of good. I remember a story of that is there was one um, where the CEO of the competitor, they actually wrote a letter to, to a, a company uh, that I worked for at one time and tell them, hey, can you please stop shopping on my <laughs> website? <laughs> but obviously things continue to run and I would say pretty much everyone is doing now or at least a lot of the people that I know is doing. Uh, what that basically means is as you are collecting thousands and thousands of code, then you when you collect all of those code back, you have someone else to reverse the engineer to say, okay, how much the competitor is charging? So almost like when you reverse engineer, you could know the rating factor, like for example, how much different they are charging for more, uh, this particular car model, how much they charge for the people who live in those suburbs. Now, once you understood all of those rating model by the competitor, then you could actually build a competitor pricing simulation engine. What that means then is if I, I as an insurer A, and these are the risk profile that I have for my existing customer, I could literally use this competitive pricing simulation engine to tell me how much competitor, competitor B, C, D, and F is charging for my existing customer. Now, if I know that information, I could literally also feed exactly the same information back to my pricing engine and my analytic platform. And the analytic model will then take into the account if you configure it to do that, to say, okay, this is the price that I'm going to optimize. And I'm also going to optimize it to the extent that whether it's increasing or decreasing, it will also take into the account of how much the competitor is charging. And, and finally, it will speed up the price that the customer, well, the insurer thing that they will win the business of the renewal customer. So yeah, that I think is really one of the examples that pricing analytics is done superbly well in all the industry that I know of. Yeah, and I think there are a few things there that exist in that particular industry that are not existent in other industries. Um, so there's a lack of transparency in pricing. There is a, a lot of depth and breadth in how we can price based on characteristics of the customer. And it's complex for the customer to compare. So you can, in a sense, say that everyone's uh, trying to arbitrage a little bit of each other's pricing models. I can imagine only really off the top of my head, something like that in some of the more complex retail shopping, like if you have a, an online supermarket, like an Amazon versus another site like that and you're trying to find the cost of a book or new shoes or whatever it might be where you can also do this sort of thing is that where you also see this pricing model used or are there other industries where it's applicable uh, obviously it depends on the complexity of the pricing but i would say that if your product is almost like a commodity to some extent then the competitive pricing strategy will always be applied. So for example, the hotel industry, when you are booking a room, if I am going to book for a, a room at Hyatt Regacy, what is the price that I would be expecting to pay for that particular room versus the similar room at Stanford? It's not going to deviate, 
right? Um, I, I, obviously, I can't compare for the room at the Stanford compared to uh, the budget hotel, but those sort of uh, the product where the price is almost a commodity, like your uh, hotel room, supermarket, i.e. the Apple at Coles versus the Apple price at Woolies is almost the same. And also things like alcohol, beverage, retail, um, those are the industry where competitive pricing will always be applicable. The, obviously, they could have someone price checking, looking at all the brochure the, that the supermarket is printing, or maybe looking at the website, what the price the competitor is charging. But the reality is, 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 is not realistic because supermarket would have tens or 30,000 uh, product at any time. Alcohol, beverage, you have all different brands as well. So how do you get around and become super productive and super efficient in doing all of those things? I think really that is where the data science in terms of the data collection, automated data collection, building them into the analytic model and then subsequently, how do you automate the result back to your core legacy IT system is, I would say, how other industry could actually benefit from exactly the similar uh, pricing strategy. Okay, so now if we move a little bit wider than, than just pricing, do you have any other case studies or success stories of how we embed analytics generally into the front line? Absolutely. I would say one of the things that is one of the case study that we are currently working. Um, so we are working with a bank to reducing their churn rate, but specifically on the channel where the, the loan business come from the mortgage broker. So if you look at the bank's portfolio, <clears throat> depending how they source their customer, now typically their home loan portfolio could consist anywhere from 15 to 40% of the business that is generated by the mortgage broker. Now, I think, well, it's good to have these mortgage broker bringing in the business, but at the same time, it can also be a problem because a lot of time, the relationship and the trust it's actually formed between the customer and the mortgage broker. Because of this middle bank, middle man, the bank is, is very difficult for the bank to build that direct relationship with the customer. And what equally that means is when a mortgage broker is leaving, some of them, and they're saying, oh, could potentially bring the clients together with them to a new company. And what this means is going to be a loss of business to the banks, right? Because they, they own the relationship. So one of the things that we, we currently are testing right now is how can we preempt this sort of issue so that we can reduce the churn rate? So we are working on a couple of hypotheses on how to predict such a behavior. So there are two things that we're trying to do. Number one is how can we predict among all the mortgage brokers when they are leaving, who will be likely to bring the customer with them? So that's number one. And number two, once we have figured that out, how can we engage the customer so that the bank can keep them from leaving? So this means is about how do you automate almost the communication to the customer before the 
the mortgage broker is leaving. So there are really two key factors that is in play when it comes to this particular case study. It, it is still fairly new. I think it is something that we are testing, but I'm excited about the potential that it could bring to the table. Now, one of the last questions I want to ask you, Jason, because we have talked a lot about pricing in this podcast. I think for a lot of people, when they make decisions on how to start in a, on a project like that, is should we buy or should we build? Should we buy a ready-made pricing platform that we can plug in or should we build our own system and processes that fit just what we need, but it might take longer? What's your advice on that? I probably would say it really depends on the industry. I I don't have a one-size-fits-all answer for them because I think some industry have really, really good off-the-shelf pricing engine, but some of them don't. So I would say really always pay to shop around. But also the most, most important thing is ask yourself, the key question is where you are in terms of the market position, because you need to know where exactly you are at, where exactly you want to be at, and and so that you know what you should do with the tank. And finally, once you figured out those questions is then you want to ask, what do you really want to achieve with the pricing engine? And I think that is probably the way that I would approach whether you buy off the sale or build your own. Jason, we're almost at the end. This was a very fast conversation, I felt, but we've almost spent 50 minutes on it. So I have two questions for you to round off. The first one, which we always do on Leaders of Analytics is paid forward. So to pay it forward, who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders Analytics and why? <laughs> I probably would name Shira Saga. So Shira is the Chief Data Officer at Latitude Financial Services. I think he would be a great guest. I would say numbers of the things that he is doing in terms of the Center of Excellence of the Data Science at the uh, LFS but uh, also a few other interesting things that I know that he's looking to bring in terms of the innovation to the financial industry. So uh, I would love to see him in this podcast. Okay, I'll have to chase him up and see if he is willing to join. <laughs> and lastly, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of your content? Well, people can find me either on LinkedIn or, or podcast. So I'm not active on IG or Facebook. Well, technically, those are a little bit more private, but equally, I'm not posting as much in those, those land. I, I did think about venturing into TikTok, but I am holding my breath at the moment. So LinkedIn or podcast is really the best way to find me. I post a lot on LinkedIn and I also release a new episode every Monday for the Analytics Show podcast, unless it is public holiday here in Queensland. So those are the two places best to find, find more about me. <laughs> And to all the listeners out there, I really recommend that you do connect with Jason on LinkedIn. He does post a lot of interesting content. And if you like this podcast, then just wait till you hear Jason's podcast. It is high quality and it's once a week. And I have listened to many episodes on there and gotten a lot out of it personally. Jason Tan, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time today. 
and we look forward to listening into your podcast in the future and seeing what's ahead for you in your career. All the best and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Jonas. It's my pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. Hey, quickly before you go, I want to make you aware of my new book that's coming out very soon. It's called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise. And I have co-written this book with six other experts in the field of data science. We consider it a playbook for digital transformation in the 2020s. If you'd like to know more about it, then head to leadersofanalytics.com AI. That's leadersofanalytics.com AI. See you soon.